Bruce Waltke's exploration of poetics and intertextuality in biblical theology emphasizes their essential roles in discerning an author's theology and tracing the evolution of a doctrine within the Bible. He argues that these methodologies, often overlooked in theological studies, are crucial for a comprehensive understanding of biblical texts. According to Waltke, poetics, as defined by Adele Berlin, involves the study of literary devices an author uses to construct their work. It's an inductive science aimed not at extracting the meaning of a text, but at identifying the fundamental elements of literature and the rules governing their assembly. This approach is analogous to linguistics in language study, where linguistics is concerned with the meaning and interrelationship of words. Poetics deals with how literary components interact to create meaning. This understanding of poetics is vital for interpreting literature, as it provides insights into how a text conveys its message. In biblical texts, understanding poetics is especially important due to the distinct narrative styles used. For instance, modern writers often follow linear thought patterns, whereas biblical authors typically employ more circular patterns, which can be challenging for contemporary readers to follow. Waltke accentuates the need for theologians to induce the rules used in biblical texts, a process akin to a heuristic spiral involving hypothesis formation and testing through continued textual study. Also, Waltke notes that skilled authors embed meaning subtly in their texts, as opposed to directly stating their message. An exception to this subtlety is the Book of Kings in the Bible, where the narrative explicitly states whether a king did evil or good in contrast to the more nuanced and evocative storytelling found in most biblical narratives. Overall, Waltke's discussion affirms the importance of poetics and intertextuality in biblical theology, asserting how these tools aid in deciphering the complex construction of biblical texts and the nuanced conveyance of their meanings. Moreover, Waltke's discussion focuses on the different methodologies used in biblical literary criticism, particularly contrasting source critics and literary critics in their approach to analyzing texts. Source criticism delves into dissecting a text to uncover its original sources. This method involves identifying duplications, shifts in style such as vocabulary changes, and varying theological perspectives within the text. Source critics talk about a redactor, someone who has stitched these sources together. They adopt a diachronic approach, implying that the redactor's work was imperfect, leaving discernible seams in the text. In contrast, literary criticism views the text through a synchronic lens, highlighting the author's deliberate control and craftsmanship. Literary critics acknowledge the presence of sources, but contend that the author skillfully integrates them, creating a cohesive and intentionally crafted narrative. This perspective regards the text as an artistic work meticulously detailed and thoughtfully composed. Waltke illustrates this contrast using the biblical account of David's introduction to Saul's service in 1 Samuel. Source critics see two conflicting narratives in this story and treat them as separate, disjointed accounts. Literary critics, however, interpret these accounts as artfully interwoven into a single, harmonious narrative. This approach reveals a richer, more layered interpretation indicating the interplay of different theological views, concepts of kingship, and character portrayals of David. One account portrays David as a divinely chosen instrument, while the other depicts him as a figure who rises to prominence through his own courage and skill. This distinction in interpretative approaches has profound implications for understanding biblical texts. Literary critics challenge the notion that isolated sources within a text are more significant than the text as a unified whole. This perspective leads to interpretations that differ significantly from those dominant in the 19th and 20th centuries, which focused more on isolating and analyzing individual text sources. Waltke's analysis presents a paradigm shift in biblical studies, advocating for a recognition of the literary and artistic coherence in biblical texts. Furthermore, Waltke's examination of biblical poetics in Genesis 1 and 2 provides a nuanced understanding of the text's literary and theological depth. He maintains that modern biblical critics approach these texts with the presumption that every word and feature is intentional and meaningful. This analytical perspective necessitates an in-depth exploration of the text, 
where both the presence and absence of elements are seen as significant. In Genesis, Waltke identifies a notable shift in the divine names used, from God in Genesis 1, 1 2, 3 to I am God in Genesis 2, 4 4 26. This change is often interpreted as evidence of different sources. Waltke, however, debates against viewing this as a mere editorial oversight or a redactor's reluctance to modify the text due to tradition. Instead, he suggests that the variation in names serves a deeper purpose in pointing out different characteristics of God. The name Elohim is used in Genesis 1 to depict God's transcendence, signifying his supreme and overarching authority over the universe. In contrast, the name Yahweh in Genesis 2 and 3 reiterates God's imminence, reflecting a more intimate and personal aspect of God's relationship with humanity. The deliberate fusion of these names into Yahweh Elohim is particularly significant. Waltke interprets this as a theological statement, conveying that the transcendent God of creation is concurrently the imminent God involved in human history. This fusion repeats that God's sovereignty extends seamlessly from creation to the unfolding of history, assuring that history is neither futile nor bound to descend into chaos. This continuity between God's role in creation and in history is not just a narrative device, but a profound theological declaration. The use of different divine names, therefore, transcends mere textual variances, serving instead to elevate the understanding of God's multifaceted nature and his dynamic relationship with the world and humanity. In addition, Waltke's analysis of poetic techniques in biblical narratives, specifically the concept of light word, lead word, underlines its significance in revealing the thematic essence of a text. This concept, first introduced by Martin Buber in 1927, focuses on the purposeful repetition of a word or its root, along with synonyms, within a text or a series of texts. Such repetitions are not mere stylistic choices. They play a crucial role in uncovering or underscoring the underlying message of the narrative. Waltke illustrates this with several examples from the Bible, demonstrating how lightwort serves as a key tool in thematic exposition. One notable instance is in 1 Samuel 15, where Robert Alter identifies the recurrent use of the word coal, voice, to unfold the central theme. Similarly, Michael Fishbane's study of the Jacob cycle reveals the structuring role of the pun on Baraka, blessing, and Baroka, birthright, which threads through the narrative. A particularly striking example is found in the account of Isaac. The narrative employs the repetitive use of terms related to taste and wild game. This repetition becomes a narrative device to focus the story on Isaac's moral and spiritual failure. Genesis 25. 28 sets the stage, indicating Isaac's preference for Esau due to his taste for wild game. This preference foreshadows Isaac's significant misjudgment in intending to bless Esau instead of Jacob. The story emphasizes how Isaac's moral discernment is clouded by his sensual appetite, accentuated through the repeated use of words like Sayyid, game, and Madam, tasty food. Such repetition serves to affirm the narrative's message. Isaac's physical indulgences have led to a distortion in his spiritual priorities. Through these examples, Waltke asserts that lightwort and similar poetic techniques are not just literary embellishments, but are essential to understanding the deep-seated themes and values in biblical texts. They connect individual narratives to the broader moral, psychological, legal, political, and theological dimensions of the Bible. Further, Waltke's exploration of motifs and sequences of action in biblical narratives offers a profound insight into the structural and thematic elements of these ancient texts. A motif, as defined by Alter and discussed by Waltke, is essentially a recurring element within a story. It can take various forms, a tangible object, a specific action, a sensory quality, or even a simple image. However, its significance is not inherent, but rather derived from the narrative context in which it appears. This concept is vividly illustrated in several biblical stories. For instance, in the Jacob narrative, motifs such as the colors white and red, along with stones, play a recurring role. These motifs, while seemingly ordinary, gain profound meaning within the story's broader framework. 
Similarly, the motif of water in the Moses story and elements like dreams, prisons, pits, and silver in the Joseph narrative are not just repetitive elements, but carry deeper symbolic meanings that contribute to the overall narrative arc. Besides, Waltke discusses the sequence of action, a narrative technique where a particular action is repeated, often in a pattern of three or three plus one. This repetition isn't redundant. It serves to build intensity or progression within the story. Each occurrence typically adds a new dimension or intensity, often leading to a dramatic climax or a pivotal reversal. This pattern is clearly observable in biblical texts, such as the account of the three captains facing fiery destruction in 2 Kings 1 or the escalating series of disasters in the book of Job. In Job's story, three calamities strip him of his possessions culminating in a fourth, more devastating event, the death of his children. These narrative patterns are not merely storytelling techniques. They are instrumental in enhancing the emotional and thematic depth of the stories. Through these patterns, the narratives evolve, build tension, and often convey profound moral or spiritual lessons. Additionally, Waltke's interpretation of the refrains in Judges 14.16 offers a profound insight into the biblical narrative's structure and underlying message. He identifies the repeated phrase, Samson led, judged Israel for twenty years in the days of the Philistines, which appears at the conclusion of chapters 15 and 16. This refrain is not just a repetitive editorial element, but serves two critical functions in the text, highlighting a key aspect of Samson's role and time as a leader and acting as a structural device to segment the narrative. From a source critic's perspective, such repetition might suggest the presence of different sources. However, Waltke, viewing it through a literary lens, interprets the refrain as an intentional structuring tool, compelling the reader to dive deeper into the chapters. He posits that Samson's story in these chapters is arranged into two parallel cycles, ABC and ABC. Each of these cycles comprises two episodes followed by a significant moment where Samson turns to God in prayer. In the first cycle, he prays for life amidst his thirst, leading to a miraculous intervention by God who provides water. The second cycle starkly contrasts the first, as Samson prays for death. Waltke's analysis reveals that the refrain not only structures the narrative, but also indicates its central themes. Despite Samson's extraordinary abilities, his spiritual decline leads to only a limited commencement of Israel's liberation. This narrative arc, maintained by the refrains, points out the concept of divine grace. God responds to Samson's prayers in both cycles, irrespective of his spiritual state or the nature of his requests. This interpretation reiterates the complexities of leadership, faith, and divine intervention in Samson's story. Waltke's approach provides a nuanced understanding of the text, linking literary structure to thematic depth, and illustrating how refrains in biblical literature can offer key insights into its interpretation. Moreover, Waltke, in his analysis of biblical narratives, repeats the use of contrast as a significant literary device, drawing upon Avigdor Bonchek's observation about the creative individual's ability to discern differences in similar things and similarities in different things. This concept is particularly evident in the analysis of type scenes in the Bible, often repeated scenes that serve to underline key contrasts. One such example is the contrasting narratives of meetings at a well in Haran. Waltke compares two episodes, the first involving Abraham's servant meeting Rebekah, and the second, Jacob encountering his bride at the same well. The servant is portrayed as strong in prayer, trusting in God to guide him to the right bride for Isaac. Conversely, Jacob is depicted as possessing brute strength, demonstrated by his ability to move a huge rock from the well, a task three shepherds couldn't achieve. The outcomes of these meetings are starkly different. The prayerful servant is rewarded with a virtuous bride, while Jacob, despite his physical strength, ends up with a bride attached to her family's idols. This contrast subtly conveys the message that spiritual strength and reliance on prayer are more influential in fulfilling God's plans than physical might. Another poignant example is Jacob's transformation into Israel. Initially, Jacob relies on his physical strength in a struggle with the God-man. His reliance shifts from physical to spiritual strength when he is physically incapacitated. In this state of vulnerability, Jacob turns to prayer, 
leading to his transformation into Israel, symbolizing the triumph of spiritual strength over physical prowess. This narrative arc concludes with Jacob, now Israel, alone and injured, yet triumphantly facing Esau and his army. Waltke interprets this as a broader metaphor for Israel's journey, underscoring that through prayer, humility, and spiritual strength, rather than physical force, reconciliation with foes and triumph over adversities are achieved, mirroring God's reconciliation with his enemies through humility and suffering. In addition, Waltke digs into the concept of comparison, particularly through the lens of the stories involving the matriarchs in a pagan king's harem. This specific motif is repeated in the stories of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Source critics often interpret these repetitions as different versions of a single story, diversified by varying details. However, literary critics like Waltke view these repetitions as deliberate comparisons meant to draw parallels between the characters of Isaac and Abraham. Waltke emphasizes the instances where Sarah and Rebecca are taken into foreign harems due to their husband's deception. In both scenarios, a divine intervention protects them, accentuating a thematic consistency. Further, this motif is mirrored in their interactions with Abimelech, the Philistine king. Both Abraham and Isaac make treaties with Abimelech at Beersheba, reinforcing the idea that Isaac is as much under God's blessing as his father Abraham was. This narrative technique of comparison serves a purpose beyond mere storytelling. It establishes a continuum of divine favor from Abraham to Isaac, suggesting a hereditary blessing. However, Waltke disputes that the stories also affirm individual agency and moral choices. The narrative makes it clear that Isaac's later failings are not due to an absence of the blessings bestowed upon his father, but rather are a result of his own sensual indulgences. This interpretation offers a richer understanding of the text, suggesting that the narratives in the Bible are not just stories of divine intervention, but also reflections on human nature, choices, and their consequences. Through this analysis, Waltke demonstrates how biblical narratives use comparison not just as a literary tool, but as a means to convey deeper theological and moral truths. The repetition and juxtaposition in these stories are more than narrative devices. They are integral to understanding the characters' journeys and the overarching message of divine continuity and human responsibility. Besides, Volka's analysis of the Genesis text examines its literary structure and thematic elements, particularly focusing on logic through causation and substantiation, and the pattern of climax and intensification. In the section on logic, Waltke examines the narrative's use of cause and effect to bring order to the text. He asserts how deception plays a crucial role in the stories of Jacob and Laban and Judah and Tamar. For instance, Jacob deceives Isaac through his blindness, and Laban deceives Jacob under the cover of night. Similarly, Judah deceives Jacob with Joseph's bloody tunic, and Tamar deceives Judah using his staff as proof of incest. Waltke highlights the intellectual satisfaction and aesthetic pleasure derived from the repetition of language and themes in these narratives. He interprets the underlying message as one of reciprocity and self-victimization, encapsulated in the biblical principle that one reaps what one sows. This suggests that acts of deception are not without personal consequences, indicating a moral lesson that deception leads to self-inflicted harm. In discussing climax or intensification, Waltke observes an escalation in the narrative, moving from lesser to greater events. He uses the seven days of creation in Genesis 1 as an example, maintaining two triads of three days each. The first triad ends with the earth bringing forth vegetation, and the second culminates in the creation of humanity. Waltke points out the significance of these climactic moments, especially in the context of the ancient Near East, where the creation of vegetation and humanity were pivotal due to their life-sustaining roles. The message here, according to Waltke, is that God's act of creation is not just about bringing life into existence, but also about providing for its sustenance. This reflects a thoughtful and provident aspect of the divine nature, reiterating that the creation of humanity was accompanied by the provision of necessary resources for survival and flourishing. Additionally, Waltke repeats two predominant patterns, symmetrical and chiastic, each offering unique insights into scriptural interpretation. The symmetrical pattern, 
demonstrated through the ABC-ABC format, is exemplified in the narrative of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 9b18. This structure functions like successive waves, where each segment mirrors and amplifies its counterpart. In this narrative, the first and second halves of the story are nearly identical in their initial components, ABCD and ABCD, prompting the reader to compare and contrast the subsequent elements, EFG with EFG and EFG. The first set of elements, EFG, depicts destructive forces, wind, earthquake, fire, where God is notably absent. In contrast, the second set, EFG and EFG, involves the anointing of Hazel, Jehu, and Elisha, all associated with acts of violence. The narrative reaches its climax in H and H, where a whisper and the preservation of 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal are underlined. This contrast suggests that the divine presence is more associated with the quiet preservation of a faithful remnant than with grandiose displays of power or politics. The chiastic structure, characterized by its ABCXCBA pattern, is centered around balance and inversion, drawing the reader's focus to the pivotal element. In 1 Kings 1.11, this structure underscores Solomon's reign. The narrative begins with Solomon's ascent to power and his efforts to build the temple, reaching a pivot with his construction of personal projects that rival the temple's grandeur. This pivot marks a turning point, as the narrative then mirrors back to Solomon's eventual decline. The chiastic structure effectively emphasizes the central theme. A kingdom's downfall is imminent when its leader prioritizes personal ambitions over divine directives. Through this analysis, Waltke demonstrates how these structural patterns in biblical narratives are not mere literary devices, but are pivotal in uncovering deeper theological and moral messages within the scriptures. Also, Waltke's insightful analysis explores the nuanced use of literary techniques in biblical narratives, particularly focusing on the concepts of Janus passages and the differentiation between gaps and blanks. The concept of Janus in literature, inspired by the Roman god of the same name, pertains to a literary unit that serves as a bridge, looking both backward and forward to connect the narrative segments that precede and follow it. Waltke exemplifies this with the structure of Genesis, which is divided into sections by the refrain, these are the accounts of the line of, Toledot. Between these sections are short pericopes, or Janus passages, each acting as a narrative hinge that links the stories, ensuring a fluid and cohesive progression of the biblical text. These passages, often overlooked by interpreters, play a crucial role in understanding the text holistically, as they relate to both the preceding and succeeding narratives. This dual-facing nature is akin to the Roman god Janus, who is depicted with two faces looking in opposite directions, symbolizing transitions and time. In discussing gaps and blanks, Waltke draws a clear distinction. A gap is an intentional omission by the narrator, serving a specific narrative or thematic purpose. In contrast, a blank is an omission of details deemed inconsequential to the story's main message. He illustrates this through the story of Abraham's test of faith, where Isaac's reaction is not detailed, a blank, deeming it irrelevant to the overarching theme. However, significant omissions like the chronicler's exclusion of the David and Bathsheba episode are considered gaps, aimed at portraying an idealized image of David. Similarly, in Genesis, the absence of a narrative about Isaac's descendants, a gap, is a notable exclusion that carries weighty implications about Isaac's life and choices. Waltke accentuates the importance of recognizing these literary strategies in biblical exegesis, cautioning against forming doctrines based on such omissions, and affirming the complexity in distinguishing between intentional and inconsequential silences in the scripture. Moreover, Waltke's analysis of anachrony in biblical narratives, particularly in Genesis, asserts its role as a powerful literary device that conveys theological and spiritual insights. Anachrony, the technique of presenting events out of their chronological order or withholding information for later revelation, is used to dramatic effect in these narratives. In Genesis 28, the story of Jacob's dream at Bethel serves as a prime example. Initially, the place of Jacob's dream is described as a nondescript certain place, only to be revealed later as Bethel. 
formerly known as the Canaanite city of Luz. This revelation is not merely a narrative twist, but carries deep theological significance. It illustrates the transformation of a commonplace, worldly location into a sacred, divine space. Jacob's dream, where he sees angels ascending and descending a stairway and realizes the presence of I am in that place, highlights this transformation. The ordinary becomes the extraordinary through divine revelation, symbolizing the place where the earthly and the divine intersect. Waltke indicates the importance of naming in this context. The transition from a certain place to Bethel signifies a shift from anonymity to spiritual significance. This is a place where God chooses to manifest, away from the Canaanite, worldly identity of Luz. As Fulkelman, cited by Waltke, notes, the erasure of Luz's Canaanite identity represents a theological reset, where God's presence redefines the space. Another example of anachrony in Genesis is the placement of the Table of Nations in chapter 10, before the Tower of Babel story in chapter 11. This ordering subordinates the narrative of the nations under Noah's prophecies, rather than the curse of Babel. This again illustrates how anachrony in the biblical text is not just a narrative technique, but serves to convey deeper theological messages. Through anachrony, these narratives reveal the transformation of places and people in the context of divine interaction and covenant history, maintaining the overriding significance of divine actions and revelations over human history and geography. Furthermore, Waltke points out the dynamics of generalization and particularization and the significance of scenic depiction in storytelling. Generalization and particularization explores how biblical stories often oscillate between broad, universal themes and specific, individual experiences. This technique is evident in the Genesis account, where the narrative scope initially encompasses the entire cosmos in one, one, two, three, before narrowing to focus on the more intimate story of the first humans. This movement from a general cosmic perspective to a particular human-centric view is further reiterated through the differing portrayals of the creation of man and woman. In the first narrative, their equality is repeated by both being created in God's image, sharing the task of subduing the earth. In contrast, the second narrative probes into their distinct roles within a hierarchical structure, with the woman presented as a helper to the man. This pattern of moving from a broad overview to detailed accounts is also seen in Judges 2. The chapter provides a generalized description of the cyclical nature of the judge's rule, which is then followed by individual stories of each judge, offering particularized insights into their reigns and challenges. In scenic depiction, Waltke examines how the setting and environment in biblical narratives enhance the storytelling. He uses the example of 2 Samuel 15 30 16, 9, which describes King David's flight from Jerusalem. The narrative is enriched by the physical journey, marked by significant encounters that correspond to the changing geography. At the summit of the Mount of Olives, David meets his loyal friend Hushai. As he descends, he encounters Ziba, whose loyalties are complex and divided. Further down at Bahurim, he is cursed by Shimei a figure from Saul's clan representing the lowest moral point in his journey. This physical descent parallels the moral and social decline in the narrative. However, this motif is reversed when David ascends back to Jerusalem, symbolizing a restoration of his status and favor. Through these examples, Waltke illustrates how biblical narratives use both thematic shifts and physical settings to convey deeper meanings and complexities in the stories. In addition, Waltke investigates the concept of foreshadowing, with a particular focus on the stories of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau in the book of Genesis. He identifies foreshadowing as a literary technique employed to subtly hint at future developments within the plot. This technique enriches the narrative, creating a layer of complexity and anticipation for the reader. In Genesis, the introduction of Jacob and Esau is a prime example of this narrative strategy. Esau is characterized as a skilled hunter, a man of the outdoors, while Jacob is depicted as a more domestic figure, staying among the tents. This early characterization is not merely descriptive. It sets the stage for the deep conflict that emerges later in the narrative. The preferences of their parents, with Isaac favoring Esau and Rebekah leaning towards Jacob, further add layers to this foreshadowing. 
This initial setup hints at the rivalry and familial discord that becomes central to the narrative in Genesis 26, 34, 28, 9. Besides, Waltke explores the concept of exposition in storytelling, particularly in the biblical context. Here, he references the insights of Shimon Bar Efrat, who underlines that exposition serves to lay the groundwork for the narrative. It introduces characters, establishes their traits, physical appearance, and the dynamics of their relationships, and provides essential background information. This foundational setup is crucial for the audience's understanding of the story. A striking example of this is found in Genesis 22, 1, where the text reads, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. This line is critical in framing the events that follow. It positions the narrative as a test of faith, rather than a literal endorsement of child sacrifice. Waltke argues that this perspective should have guided interpretations of the story, preventing misunderstandings about its purpose. He suggests that while the narrative tests Abraham's faith, it does so within a context where child sacrifice is a real, albeit abhorrent, possibility. This acknowledgement of child sacrifice as a possibility adds depth to the test of faith Abraham undergoes. In sum, Waltke's analysis underscores the sophisticated use of narrative techniques like foreshadowing and exposition in biblical texts. These techniques not only enhance the storytelling, but also deepen the reader's understanding of the themes and characters within these ancient narratives. Additionally, Waltke delves into the nuances of two specific literary devices, inclusio and summarization, elucidating their strategic use in enhancing the narrative structure and thematic depth of the scriptures. Inclusio is a literary technique characterized by the repetition of certain features at the beginning and end of a textual unit. This method serves a multifaceted purpose. Primarily, it frames the unit, offering a clear boundary and focus. Furthermore, it stabilizes the material enclosed within this frame, creating a sense of coherence and unity. This repetition is not merely structural, but also thematic, as it emphasizes key themes, reinforcing them through repeated exposure. More subtly, Inclusio establishes a rhetorical connection with the material that lies between the opening and closing repetitions, adding a layer of depth and complexity to the interpretation. Waltke exemplifies this with Psalm 8, 1 and 9, where the phrase, I am, are I am, how majestic is your name in all the earth, bookends the psalm. This inclusion is particularly striking as it frames a passage celebrating human dominion over creation, juxtaposing the majesty of God with the concept of human stewardship. This contrast serves to accentuate the psalm's message. God's greatness is uniquely manifested when humans, in their childlike dependence, exercise dominion over the earth. Summarization, another pivotal device, involves condensing more extensive material into a brief synopsis or abridgment. This technique is particularly effective in affirming overarching themes and messages within a larger narrative context. Waltke uses Genesis 2, 1 as an illustration, where the verse encapsulates the entirety of the creation narrative that precedes it. This summarization conveys the profound message of a cosmos created in perfection and fullness, overcoming the primeval chaos. Also, the use of summarization in the opening and closing verses of the Genesis creation narrative, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, 1, asserts God's role as the creator and sovereign ruler. These summarizations distill the essence of the detailed creation process described in the intervening verses, highlighting the theological and philosophical underpinnings of the biblical narrative. Through these devices, Waltke demonstrates how biblical authors used inclusio and summarization not only as stylistic tools, but also as means to deepen the reader's understanding of the theological and philosophical themes inherent in the scriptures. Moreover, Waltke dives into the use of literary techniques in biblical narratives, specifically focusing on interrogation and intercalation. These methods are not just stylistic choices, but serve to deepen the thematic and philosophical layers of the texts. The technique of interrogation is used to pose questions or indicate problems, which then lead into the core message of the text. Waltke exemplifies this through the Book of Job. In this narrative, the prologue raises a poignant question about the suffering of the righteous, 
encapsulating one of the central dilemmas of human existence. Interestingly, the answer to this problem is presented through God's response to Job, which is itself a series of questions. This method of answering a question with more questions maintains the primary message of the text, the necessity for the faithful to accept the mysteries and paradoxes of life. This narrative illustrates how chaos and order coexist in the world, a world where elements like untamed seas, enveloping darkness, destructive hail, and predatory creatures are part of the structured cosmos. Despite their containment and control, these chaotic elements are not eliminated, symbolizing the inexplicable aspects of life that the faithful must endure. The absence of a straightforward answer to Job's suffering points out the theme of faith in the face of life's unanswerable questions. The second technique, intercalation, involves the insertion of one literary unit within another, disrupting the chronological flow of the narrative. Waltke uses the example of the appendix in Judges 17.21, which interrupts the story from Samson to Samuel. This intercalation is distinct in its structure and subject matter, clearly demarcated from the main narrative. It serves a critical purpose, reiterating Israel's failure during the war-torn period, attributing it to the failings of the Levites and priests. By breaking the chronological narrative, the author brings into sharp focus the moral and societal decay prevalent in Israel at that time. These techniques, interrogation and intercalation, are not merely literary tools, but are instrumental in conveying deeper, often complex theological and moral themes in biblical texts. They engage the reader, prompting reflection on existential questions and providing commentary on historical and moral dilemmas within the narrative framework. Furthermore, intertextuality is a critical concept in biblical studies, referring to the interconnection and referencing of one scripture passage to another. This phenomenon is particularly significant in the context of biblical theology, where it involves a process called inner biblical exegesis. This process sees later biblical texts interpret, transform, deepen, expand, or revise the messages of earlier scriptures. Waltke notes that this transformative interpretation is often carried out by charismatic biblical figures, including prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, prophet historians such as the Deuteronomist and Chronicler, or authorized exegetes like Ezra. These figures engage with and reinterpret the teachings of earlier charismatic leaders, such as Moses. Importantly, though, later Old Testament writers do not completely overturn Moses' teachings. Instead, they prepare the ground for a new era that might see certain reversals of these teachings. A pivotal figure in this context is Jesus Christ, along with his apostles. Jesus, being the Son of God and considered greater than Moses, uniquely reverses some of the earlier teachings. These reversals serve several purposes. They dispel the shadows cast by ceremonial laws, allowing their true significance to be understood. They raise the bar for the ethical standards set by civil laws, and they broaden the scope of salvation from being exclusive to Israel to being inclusive of all humanity. In addition, Waltke repeats the subtlety of repetitions in the Bible. These repetitions are not mere literary devices. They forge thematic or ideational connections, contributing to the Bible's intricate structure. This structure evidences the unity of the Bible, encompassing both the Old and New Testaments, and articulates a message that inspires conviction and agreement in its truth. The study of intertextuality, thus, is not just an academic pursuit. It is a methodological approach to uncovering and understanding the Bible's transcendent themes and ideas. This approach is vital for expounding the messages of the Old Testament and, to the extent possible, the entire Bible tracing its overarching narrative and theological themes. Further, Waltke's examination of transformative versus non-transformative intertextuality in biblical texts underlines a key aspect of scriptural interpretation. The difference between texts that simply echo earlier writings, non-transformative, and those that reinterpret them for deeper theological insights, transformative. Waltke uses examples to illustrate this concept. In the non-transformative category, he refers to Ezra 9, where Ezra, an expert in Mosaic law, amalgamates various commands from Exodus and Deuteronomy 
to address the issue of intermarriage with certain nations. This amalgamation, though contextually relevant, doesn't significantly advance theological understanding. On the transformative side, Waltke discusses the reinterpretation of Genesis 1 in Isaiah, contrasting with the non-transformative expansion of Zephaniah's metaphors by Ezekiel. Isaiah's reinterpretation addresses profound questions about creation, divine involvement, and counters the cosmologies of Babylonian and Zoroastrian beliefs. This not only deepens theological understanding, but also responds to the historical and cultural contexts of the exiles. A nuanced example provided by Waltke is the interpretation of Psalm 40 in Hebrews. The original metaphor of God opening ears, implying obedience, is expanded in Hebrews to a broader concept of offering one's body as a sacrifice. This illustrates how sometimes the line between transformative and non-transformative intertextuality can be subtle yet significant. Through these examples, Waltke showcases the dynamic nature of biblical texts. His analysis underscores how scripture is not static, but is continually reinterpreted to meet new historical situations, thereby enriching and advancing theological understanding. This study not only reflects the complexity of scriptural exegesis, but also demonstrates the evolving nature of religious thought and practice throughout history. Besides, Waltke's analysis of kinds of intertextuality in biblical texts digs into the intricate ways in which later biblical writings connect with and reference earlier ones. He identifies several methods of intertextuality, with citation being the most definitive. Citation involves directly quoting from earlier passages, creating a clear link between different parts of the Bible. This method is straightforward and leaves little room for doubt about the connection between texts. However, Waltke emphasizes that other methods, such as illusion and typology, are less certain in their ability to establish clear connections between biblical texts. He brings into the discussion Svendholm Nielsen's view, which suggests caution in interpreting similarities in wording between different texts. According to Holm Nielsen, some apparent quotations might just be coincidental, and it often comes down to individual interpretation to determine whether a later text is purposefully using material from an earlier one. To illustrate these concepts, Waltke offers specific examples. He notes the unifying effect of repeated verses across the books of the primary history. Another instance he discusses is Ezra's transformative use of Mosaic laws. In this case, Ezra adapts laws concerning mixed marriages to address the needs of the restored community, demonstrating how a later text can reinterpret an earlier law to suit new circumstances. Additionally, Waltke explores the transformation of a Levitical law about priests not making their heads bald into a broader prohibition in Deuteronomy against Israelites practicing baldness in mourning. He interprets this as reflecting the notion that all of Israel is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as per Exodus 19, 6. Through these examples, Waltke accentuates the complexity of biblical intertextuality. His analysis reveals how biblical texts are not just standalone writings, but are deeply interconnected, often in ways that require careful interpretation and understanding of the broader theological and historical context. Also, Waltke's analysis examines the use of key words and motifs in the Bible, affirming their crucial role in understanding intertextual connections and overarching biblical themes. He asserts that words like sin, fear, righteousness, unfailing love, and law recur in various texts, indicating thematic connections that span multiple scriptures. These recurring words form part of larger themes such as sin and Satan, or righteousness of God, thereby weaving a complex tapestry of interconnected narratives and teachings across the Bible. Moreover, Waltke highlights the significance of motifs, metaphorical words and phrases that link the Old and New Testaments. Examples include seed, land, covenant, and temple. These motifs are not merely repetitive elements, but carry deep symbolic meanings, representing a range of biblical concepts. For instance, seed not only refers to a biological offspring, but also to a lineage of faith and promise as seen in the seed of the woman or the seed of Abraham. These motifs become integral in constructing and understanding the broader theological and doctrinal framework of the Bible. Furthermore, 
Waltke traces the evolution of specific key words, illustrating how their meanings and uses have changed over time, reflecting shifts in theological understanding. The Hebrew word drs, for example, evolves from its initial use for oracular inquiry to a later use denoting scholarly study of the Torah. This transition mirrors a broader shift from reliance on charismatic religious figures, like prophets, to a focus on scripture and scholarly interpretation. In the New Testament context, Waltke contends that Christ and the Church fulfill these Old Testament motifs and themes. Christ is depicted as the culmination of these motifs. He is the true seed of Abraham, transforms the notion of land, and is the mediator of the New Covenant. He embodies the temple, is described as the light of the world, and serves as the foundational stone upon which the church, a spiritual temple, is built. This fulfillment ties the Old and New Testament together, showing the continuity and evolution of biblical themes through Christ. In addition, Faltke's examination of allusions in biblical literature indicates their nuanced role in conveying complex themes and deepening the textual meaning. Allusions, as Waltke suggests, are more intuitive than systematic, creatively linking texts to enrich understanding and persuasion. He uses Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech as a prime example, showing how King's allusions to historical texts like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and Shakespeare's works, as well as biblical passages, were strategic. These references were not merely decorative, but served to connect King's message to a broader historical and cultural context implicitly claiming continuity with these traditions and maintaining the righteousness of his cause. Waltke then shifts focus to the New Testament, noting its extensive use of Old Testament allusions. This practice was part strategic polemic against Jewish scribes, demonstrating the New Testament writers' deep knowledge of Hebrew scriptures. This technique was not only about expanding their messages, but also about challenging the traditional Jewish interpretations of these scriptures. An instructive case is Psalm 8, which Waltke reads as an allusion to Genesis 1, 28 where David transforms the creation narrative into a hymn celebrating human superiority over creation. This contrasts sharply with its use in the book of Job, where Job and Eliphaz invert the allusion to point out human misery and frailty post-fall. In the New Testament, particularly in Hebrews, this theme of dominion is further transformed. The allusion to Son of Man in Psalm 8 is reinterpreted to refer to Jesus Christ. This reinterpretation reiterates Christ's temporary lower status than angels and his eventual exaltation, symbolizing the fulfillment of humanity's intended destiny. Further, Waltke notes how allusions can merge with typology, using the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, whose narrative serves as a typological warning in both the Old and New Testaments. In summary, Waltke's analysis demonstrates how biblical allusions are employed not just for literary elegance, but as tools for theological discourse, connecting past narratives to present contexts, and reinterpreting themes to resonate with contemporary audiences. Besides, Waltke's exposition on salvation history, or Heilsgeschichte, provides an in-depth analysis of the biblical narrative and its overarching theme of redemption. Heilsgeschichte is a theological term that paints the Bible's content as a continuous and progressive revelation of God's redemptive work, starting with the creation of the world and culminating with the eschatological events associated with the return of Jesus Christ. Salvation history is characterized by a series of divine interventions in the world, with the story unfolding across both the Old and New Testaments. This historical progression demonstrates how the act of salvation is not static, but is instead an unfolding process that moves towards a future fulfillment. Waltke suggests that this dynamic trajectory gives the Bible a profound unity, as it ties together the diverse writings within a single, cohesive framework. The foundation of this unity is anchored in the concept of the Israel of God, which, according to Waltke, is central to establishing and advancing the kingdom of God on earth. The narrative depicts Israel's resistance against the formidable forces of evil, personified by the gates of hell, thereby showcasing a community continually involved in the divine struggle for redemption. The ongoing nature of this struggle infers that redemption stretches beyond a single generation, 
implicating successive generations in the fulfillment of God's promise. Waltke notes that modern scholarship, as represented by scholars like David L. Baker, has widely recognized the Old Testament's forward-looking eschatological bent. This expectation of a grander future is a significant aspect of Old Testament faith, permeating the religious understanding of its time. By considering intertextuality, which refers to the interconnectedness of biblical texts, Waltke repeats the Old Testament's orientation towards a future redemption. This openness to the future does not simply point to what is to come. It actively shapes the interpretation and relevance of earlier scriptures. This anticipation of divine action and ultimate redemption through the Messiah imbues the scriptures with a vibrancy that encourages believers to see past events in light of the promised future. The salvation history thereby embraces not just a recounting of past divine acts, but also a prophetic declaration of the final, consummate act of salvation that is anticipated in Christian eschatology. Additionally, Waltke's examination of prophecy in the Bible underlines its crucial role in conveying God's sovereignty and future plans. He underscores that prophecy is not just foretelling events, but a manifestation of God's governance over history, demonstrated through his covenants with pivotal biblical characters such as Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and especially Jesus Christ. These covenants form the backbone of the prophetic vision for Israel's destiny, incorporating both judgment and the promise of redemption. Waltke illustrates this through the works of prophets like Amos and Micah. Amos, the earliest writing prophet, bases his oracles of doom on the Pentateuch's laws, critiquing societal evils like oppression, extortion, and injustice, thus revealing his deep engagement with Israelite legal traditions. Micah, writing later, concludes his prophecies with a vision of salvation, linking it to the Exodus and the promises made to the patriarchs, symbolizing a future where Israel's sins are metaphorically discarded. Also, he discusses the transformative nature of prophecy, particularly in the post-exilic period. Prophets like Isaiah envisioned a future where traditional laws excluding certain groups, like eunuchs, are overturned, contrasting with contemporaries like Nehemiah who advocated for purity through separation. This reflects a prophetic vision of an inclusive community under God's glory. Central to Waltke's analysis is Jesus Christ, seen as the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. Christ's teachings and the apostolic writings often refer to Old Testament scriptures, emphasizing Jesus as the Messiah who initiates a new era of spiritual inclusiveness and transformation. This new era, as prophesied, breaks down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles, creating a unified community of believers. Waltke particularly focuses on the use of Psalm 110 in the New Testament, showing its importance in portraying Jesus as a figure who transcends the traditional divisions between royal and priestly roles. This interpretation is pivotal in understanding the Messiah as one who combines both kingly and priestly duties a concept that was revolutionary in the context of Jewish tradition. He concludes by accentuating the importance of interpreting Old Testament citations in the New Testament in their broader context. For instance, Jesus' utterance on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A quote from Psalm 22. Is not just an expression of anguish, but also connects to the triumph and resurrection signified at the end of the psalm. This approach affirms the interconnectedness of the Old and New Testaments and the fulfillment of prophecies in the broader narrative of the Bible, asserting the deep theological coherence in the Christian tradition. Moreover, Waltke's exploration of typology in the Bible presents it as a unique method of interpreting historical events, persons, and institutions as prefigurations of future occurrences. Typology differs from prophecy. While prophecy predicts the future, typology retrospectively recognizes patterns in past events that foreshadow later developments. This method is based on the premise that apparent contradictions in Scripture can be resolved by understanding the literal as a symbolic precursor to a spiritual reality. Waltke uses examples from the Bible to illustrate this concept. He cites the everlasting nature of practices like circumcision and the priesthood, which, despite their discontinuation, represent lasting spiritual truths. 
This interpretation resolves the contradictions between the physical cessation of these practices and their described eternal nature. A key aspect of typology is its retrospective recognition. Events, persons, or institutions in the Old Testament are seen as types or patterns that find their fulfillment or anti-type in later historical developments. Waltke highlights that typology is more than mere repetition. It involves foreshadowing, comparison, and contrast, and contributes to the unfolding of salvation history. One vivid example provided is the story of Balaam and his donkey in Numbers 22, 24. The narrative shows a pattern of three incidents, each escalating in significance, indicating the theme of divine intervention and revelation. This pattern exemplifies how typology works, revealing deeper meanings and connections across different parts of the biblical narrative. Furthermore, Waltke discusses the typology of significant events like the Exodus. The Exodus is not just a historical event, but a type for later occurrences, like Joshua's conquest and Israel's return from exile. These events are interconnected, demonstrating the continuity of God's salvific plan. In the New Testament, typology is used extensively to interpret and connect Old Testament events to the life and work of Jesus Christ. This approach sees Christ and his actions as the fulfillment of the types established in the Old Testament. Waltke debates that this method of interpretation maintains the unity and coherence of the entire biblical narrative, revealing the overarching purpose and plan of God across history. Last but not least, Waltke highlights a crucial aspect of textual connection known as conceptualization. This concept is particularly evident in the context of scriptural interpretation, where thematic continuity plays a significant role in understanding the text's deeper meanings and connections. Waltke chooses the narrative of the Garden of Eden as a prime example to elucidate this idea. In the Eden narrative, themes such as people, land, law, rebellion, exile, and restoration are prominently featured. These themes are not only pivotal to this particular story, but are also recurrent throughout the entire corpus of Scripture. However, Waltke points out that the linkage between these themes in different parts of the Bible is not always explicit. Unlike connections made through direct quotations, specific keywords, or clear textual allusions, the connection here is more subtle and profound. It lies in the underlying thematic framework that binds various parts of the scripture together. Waltke's concept of conceptualization invites readers to delve beyond the surface level of the text, encouraging a more nuanced and thematic reading. By identifying these recurring themes, readers can discern a pattern or a narrative thread that runs through various biblical stories and passages. This approach offers a holistic understanding of the Bible, where individual narratives are not isolated but are part of a larger, interconnected thematic tapestry. This method of interpretation underscores the importance of recognizing thematic elements as a means of connecting different parts of a text. It suggests that true comprehension of a narrative especially one as complex and layered as the Bible, requires an awareness of these broader concepts that may not be immediately apparent, but are integral to understanding the text's full scope and message. Waltke's insight into conceptualization thus opens up a deeper, more interconnected way of engaging with biblical texts, where thematic resonance is as significant as literal textual connections. In conclusion, Waltke's exploration of biblical theology indicates the significance of poetics and intertextuality in understanding biblical texts. He argues that literary devices, such as narrative style and the use of lead words, are crucial for discerning the theology and evolution of doctrines in the Bible. Waltke maintains the distinct narrative styles of biblical authors, noting their preference for circular patterns over the linear approaches common in modern writing. He points out the subtlety in biblical storytelling, where meanings are often embedded rather than directly stated, with a notable exception being the explicit moral judgments in the Book of Kings. Furthermore, Waltke contrasts source criticism, which focuses on identifying the original sources of a text, with literary criticism, which views the text as an intentionally crafted narrative. He uses the story of David in 1 Samuel to illustrate how these different methodologies lead to varied interpretations. In addition, in his examination of Genesis, 
Waltke discusses the significance of the variation in divine names, suggesting that these differences highlight distinct characteristics of God. He also introduces the concept of lightwort, the repetition of a word or its root within a text, to reveal the central theme. This technique is exemplified in several biblical narratives, demonstrating its importance in understanding the underlying messages. Further, Waltke explores motifs and sequences of action in biblical stories, showing how these elements contribute to the narrative's emotional and thematic depth. Besides, he analyzes refrains in Judges 14.16, explaining how they function as structural devices that segment the narrative and underscore central themes. Lastly, Waltke's work includes a study of contrasts and comparisons in biblical narratives, such as the contrasting encounters at a well in Haran and the transformation of Jacob into Israel. He examines various literary techniques used in Genesis, such as logic through causation and climax intensification, to highlight the significance of these methods in interpreting biblical texts.